this morning I want to, it's not a continuation, but a part two of, of the, the last sermon I, I, I made here. Um, we talked about surprising your world, living questionable lives, right? For those of you that are here did not catch uh, my previous message, uh, I am definitely not saying that you should do things that are questionable by today's standards in the sense of wrong things, bad things, or things that will will, hmm, make people scratch their head. But living questionable lives in the sense of having people ask you, why are you so different? Or why is it that you do what you do? So let's just make that, get that clear and make that straight. I'm not asking you to go out and go wild. Okay? I'm asking you to go out and go wild for Jesus. In the sense of the things that you do will evoke questions about who you are. Does that make sense? So with that in mind, not that we've cleared the table, we can move into our, our sermon for this morning. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me as I pray one more time. Father God, I thank you for giving us the privilege of coming together. I thank you for the privilege of opening your word and, and hearing from it. And I pray, Father, that your spirit will speak through me, that these words that I may, may utter may not may not be of my own choosing. But Lord, may may you be lifted up and may we be drawn to you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to John chapter 20. Just leave it open there for a while. We're not going to read the entire story, but there is a verse in there that is going to springboard us into our topic for this morning. And the context, context as for you to understand, for you to, to see what it is that we're, we're talking about this morning, um, where we find this story is right after Jesus' crucifixion. Right after Jesus' crucifixion, he foretells that he was going to die to his disciples. We know this. We've read the stories. If you have not read the story, go ahead, read this story later. But the story is that Jesus is in, is in his tomb. Mary Magdalene runs over and, and, and is looking to uh, take care of the body. And she, op- she comes to an open tomb. And as she looks in the tomb, she be- she, she's scared. She doesn't know what happened. And she has this encounter with Jesus. And she doesn't even know that it is him until he speaks to her. I mean, what a cool scene from Jesus' perspective. Here is Mary, and she's imploring, please, she's thinking that he's the gardener. Please tell me what you've done with the body so that I may go and find him and I may take care of him. And and Jesus' words comes with this very calming way of comforting her and says, why are you weeping? And she realizes it's Jesus. 
And so she rushes back, right? She rushes back to, his, to the disciples. The disciples didn't even believe her. I mean, that's another issue in of itself. But it comes to the point when we read. When we read this story. In verse 9. There's something that is kind of eye-opening. If you, ha- if you read it too quick, you'll miss it. And it says, John chapter 20, verse 9. And this is what it says. For as yet... They did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Did you catch that? John is telling us, because this is an account that he experienced, that he went through, that the disciples, though they had been with Jesus, had not yet known the scripture. Do you know the Scriptures? Don't answer that. The disciples did not know. The Bible tells us if you read it, there are three, three Gospels outside of John, and they all tell, because John doesn't reveal any of this, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in these three occasions, each bullet point is, is a specific occasion, that all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell that Jesus foretells that he's going to die and he's going to resurrect. So when we read this account in John, in verse 20, excuse me, verse 9, the question that comes to my mind is how in the world did these people not know? You know, it's very easy for us to cast out a stone, isn't it? How these these guys they spent three years with him. How could they not even understand? Jesus himself told them, you know, as a parent, we very often tell our kid, don't do this, you're gonna lose a privilege. You're gonna suffer the consequences, and they do it anyway. We are just like children. And the reason why I believe this happened is because they had spiritual blind spots in the same way that you and I have blind spots. You know when you're driving a car and you're looking out in the side mirror or even the rear view mirror, there are spaces in the, as you look out, that the mirror does not factor into everything that is there. You kind of have to turn your head. The other day I was driving and, 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 and my daughter asked me, Dad, why do you turn your head every time before you move into the lane? He says, because of experience. You know? You get accustomed to knowing exactly where the blind spots are in, the, in your own car. And so, on occasion, you get caught off guard. But for the most part, you are aware of those blind spots. However, in this story... The disciples were not aware of their spiritual blind spots. And very often, we, like the disciples, are also very unaware of our spiritual blind spots. So we have to guard against those. 
But this story also reveals to me something else as well. Belief in Jesus doesn't come naturally. It really doesn't. You can believe in the person of Jesus. You can believe that, the per, that he, became, he is a historical figure. I mean, even the, the Bible tells us that the angels believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but they don't believe in him. It doesn't come to us naturally. And the reason why it doesn't come to us naturally, I believe Timothy Keller put it best when he wrote this in, one of, in his book uh, entitled, entitled uh, Encounters with Jesus. He says, the message like the gospel, anyone sees fairly quickly that if it were true, you would lose some control of how you'd live your life. The problem is that we have issues with authority as human beings. Across the board, it doesn't matter who says it or who's not. It doesn't matter if it's your dad or your mom. It doesn't matter if it's your pastor or not. It doesn't matter if it's an elder or if it's your grandmother or if it's your grandfather. We all have an innate inability to succumb to authority. And when we read the Gospels and when we read the stories that even Jesus himself said, I am going to die, the disciples are like, "Uh uh-uh, nope, no, not going to happen. No, not my watch. They were blinded by their own spiritual blind spots. And we too become blinded because we choose not to surrender the very things God has asked us to surrender. Because the moment that you give up your sense of ownership of your life and and surrender it to Christ, you lose some form of authority. No, it's funny. I didn't hear an amen. (laughs) Who wants to go home with less authority this morning? Ideally, I I should be hearing the whole church say amen, but it's the, the 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 struggle is real, right? The struggle is real because when we look at this, we're man. It doesn't come naturally for us. To surrender to Christ does not come naturally. Let's just be honest. It takes time, right? It takes time. And you know how best God tried to teach his people how to trust and how to surrender? He says, all right, here's my suggestion to you. I want you to teach your children. It wasn't about the experience. He didn't go back and say, listen, this is now what you have to believe in. He didn't give them a set of doctrines. He gave them a set of conduct. The Ten Commandments was the first thing he did. But then after that, he says, I want you to go and teach your children. What's ironic is when I looked up the word teach, the Hebrew has several different words for it. But I more specifically, I was looking up the, the phrase of teach your children. And in the New King James Version, which is the version I like to study from, 
these four verses, or these five uh, places took place, uh, is where we encounter these, this phrase. Teach your children and or grandchildren. So we're going to look at this a little bit. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9 through 10, and this, this is where God is commanding the people to obedience, right? He has just given them the second set of, 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 of the tablets, and he says, these are my commandments. Teach your children these precepts. What is interesting, here's the actual word. This is, and teach them to your children and grandchildren. The word here in the, in the Hebrew is, means to know, mentally, to have an understanding, to have a grasp of, of what it is that you are, you are teaching. In other words, when I tell my, my child, this is hot, they know it's hot because they can see and they can feel it, right? They know. The second one is found in the very same concept. And that they may teach their children, here is a different word in the Hebrew, which means to goad. You know, we don't use this word very often in, in today's English language. Do you guys know what to goad means? Is to, <laughs> is to poke, to provoke, to get a reaction out of. Okay, Paul, Paul in, 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 in one of his letters in the New Testament, he, talk, he talks about kicking against the goads. In other words, I'm, I'm kicking against something that is sharp that I know is going to cause me pain. Must I continue to kick against the goads is what he's referring to. And, and it's the same concept of when you teach in this manner is that you are doing something, you're not doing it to provoke, but you're doing it to get an action out of and a reaction out of, you know, it's kind of like I tell my daughter all this time, and I'm going to embarrass her just a little bit. Every time she gets into the car, I look back and I said, Maya, seatbelt. Right? We get to a point where when we begin to teach our kids to the, 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 the con- certain concepts, that when we remind them, it's like, oh, man, again, I have to hear this. Those of you that are parents, you know. And those of you that have been parents and have no are, are empty nesters, you can remember. But I'll flip the script. How many times does God have to poke you, to remind you? He says, hey, I've taught you this before. Why are you struggling? Why are you still kicking against the goads? See, to teach is to, in this manner, what Jesus is, or God is trying to, to, to tell us, when we teach our kids, and essentially we're all, and I love that song, we are children of God, so we are God's children, right? We're going to see this here in a little bit. God wants a reaction out of us. God wants us to react to his teaching so that we understand what he is trying to convey. This is in both Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. The next one in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, is where we have the great commandment. 
Remember when Jesus was encountered and says, which is the greatest commandment? And do you know what he responded? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. And, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is, a, and this is the second greatest commandment. This is likewise the first. Okay? He's summarizing the first four, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And he's now summarizing the last six, love your neighbor as yourself. And these two, find, you find the commandments of God. So in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, is where we encounter the commandment, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Now it's interesting that in the Hebrew, the word teach is not there. It's, it's actually it's a, it's an insertion to make it so we, in our language, we can understand the concept of what he's trying to do. But in the Hebrew it says, and you shall diligently to your kids. In other words, you're going you're gonna to ram this into their head. The word is, there is actually translated to inculcate. It's an archaic English word that means to put it inside their head. Inculcate. You're going to drill them to the point where they know it like the back of their hand. But what is it that he's asking them to, 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 to teach them? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And this is right there, De- Deuteronomy chapter 6. Right? Then we jump to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 19. And here is a section on service. So we have obedience, God's principles, obedience relationally, and now we have obedience through love and service. Three concepts, and God is asking his people to learn how to be, how to become, and to, for the parents to teach their kids. And here's what it says. And they may and that they may teach their children, again, the word to go there, to revoke a reaction. And then Isaiah, chapter 54, verse 13. This is an eternal covenant of peace. I mean, when, when I'm looking at this, I'm like, wow, God, you are so wise. Because I wasn't even looking for a theme. But when you factor in these five principles together, you have love God with all your heart, obey his principles, and as a result of doing all these things, through service, obey, you know, participate in service and actions of love and charity. As a, when you do all these three, here's what happens. An eternal covenant of Now, this is not a formula. This is not something that God has promised. Oh, you do this and you're going to get that. No, by all means. But the consequences of it, when you follow God's teaching, he does promise that he's going to give us peace. But here's here's the interesting part. The word that is used here, okay, for teaching and for is one that's different. It's different than the rest of them. Here is the, it's a custom to disciple, or, or it's a custom, disciple, learn, 
taught youths, that they may teach their children. Here, God is promising to teach his people, okay? But this word is also where we get the concept of habit. Where we get the concept of being accustomed to creating, developing a habit. Another word for habit is discipline. Not in the sense of I'm going to discipline my child, but in the form of creating discipline to the point where I am now creating a habit out of my actions. So to teach is also to instill a habit in our children, right? We, that's why I asked them, what, it, what habits do you have? And, and we have a habit of coming to church on Sabbath because we believe this is God's day of our, for us to worship. We also believe that it is good for us not to forsake the gathering of the saints. In other words, we need to come together to continue to develop our faith. Corporate worship. But it's, as I said, it's, it's, it's to discipline, to create a habit. So when we talk about surprising your world, how many of us here have a habit of being missional? Don't raise your hand. Because we can talk about learning these ideas and principles, but when we talk about surprising the world, you can only evoke questions from people if you have a habit of living out your principles. Let that sink in for a little bit. You can only share what you have developed. You can't share something that's not yours. You can't share something you have not experienced when it comes to spirituality. So when, it's, when we talk about mission, when we talk about blessing people and, and, and living lives that are questionable, we are essentially echoing what Michael, Fro Michael Frost, he's a, a missiologist, he says this, Missional habits are not just strategic, but they are consequential. In other words, your relationship with God and the practice that you put in, the discipline for your spiritual disciplines that you align and align with God will come out naturally. It's not something that you just plan for, but it's consequential of you putting yourselves through that discipline of, I'll fill in the blank. That's what bless is. It's a discipline. It's a habit. But we can't share what we don't have. So when we talk about evoking questionable lives or evoking questions from people because of living questionable lives, have you been teaching yourself the discipline of being missional? Have you been teaching yourself or putting yourself into a perspective, into a place where people are going to look at you and say, she's built differently. She's built differently. What, what do you have? What is it? These are the questions that we want people to ask us. Not because of our eschatology. It's 
a big theological word that means end time events. That doesn't differentiate us. That's the result of Jesus in us. I pray as we continue to grow together that blessed will become a part of your life. I invite you to consider developing a discipline for mission. Not out overseas. Not missions where you're going to hire somebody to do Bible studies with or he become the Bible worker. But missions in your own life. That's what BLESS is. It's not a program. It's not a an idea for you to, oh yeah, I want to learn about it. But it's going to challenge you to change your mindset, to be more missional. You're going to have to discipline yourself to do this. But the results is peace. The result is God teaching you peace. May God bless you.